Well, thank you guys for being here uh, today, and happy, happy Father's Day to uh, all the dads out there. And I know that your kids feel the same way, probably not as much, <laughs> but they feel the same way about you, you know what I mean? You're, you're doing your best. <laughs> oh boy, God is good. We were talking this morning a little bit too about how uh, in this, the song we sang, you're a good, good father, and he is our ultimate example, isn't he, of unconditional love. Um, you know, some, some of you uh, maybe had the, the best dads in the world, and some of you maybe didn't have uh, such great dads. I don't know what your, what your background, what your story is, but um, our Heavenly Father loves us and cares for us. I remember, and I've, I've said this before, but the first time that uh, I'd grown up learning the parables one way, and then, and, and then I remember when I was correctly taught the parables, because um, I was growing up in more of a legalistic environment, and we talked about the pearl of great price and the field that had the treasure in it, and, and, the, and the man sold everything that he had in order to purchase the field so he could have the treasure, and, and the other man purchased, sold everything that he had to purchase the field so that he could have that pearl of great price, and we were always taught that, you know, you give everything that you have to, to, to have God in your life because he's worth it. And I remember the first time that I was taught, that is not the way, that was not what Jesus was saying. We don't do anything to purchase God. We don't do anything to earn or to gain God. Instead, he gave everything that he had. We are the treasure. You are the pearl of great price. Interestingly enough, a pearl is not kosher, right? And this was a Jewish man telling a Jewish story to Jewish people. He was talking about you Gentiles, so he spoke of a treasure, and then he spoke of a, girl, a pearl of great price, of great value, that the rich man gave everything he had to purchase as a possession. That is your value to your heavenly Father. I don't know where you're at or what your belief system is or where you sit today, but I can tell you, I can promise you with all certainty that there is a God in heaven who is just in love with you, just like you are with your little kids, man. And I always say this too, what do your kids have to do to earn your love, right? They exist. They exist, you know? Uh, they don't do, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of things, especially early on, right, to, <laughs> to earn your love, you know, like, oh, I couldn't do it without them, you know what I mean? They're like an anchor, okay? That's what it is, no. Uh, <laughs> it, you just love them. And from the day those little faces pop out, right? You are just in love with that little human being, and you know immediately you would give anything and everything for that little face, for that little face. And Jesus said, if you being sinful know how to love your children and give good gifts to them, how much more does your heavenly Father love you and give the Holy Spirit to those who ask it of him? So we should start every single morning saying, please, Dad, please, Dad, can I have more of you today? Can I have more of you in my life today? He is always, always near to your heart. I heard a pastor once say that when we get saved, we have all of him. He just doesn't have all of us. And every single day, he stands waiting, waiting for us to draw into him and to bless us. It is a beautiful, beautiful truth um, of who God is. Uh, now, last service, the first service, we finished up the book of Deuteronomy, and we're starting Joshua chapter 1, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We're starting Joshua chapter 1, uh, and of course, finishing up the life of Moses, and, and, and what can you say about Moses? Moses was a man of God. Moses was a friend of God. 
Uh, God didn't say that in the scriptures about a whole lot of people uh, before Jesus Christ, I should say, right? Uh, now you can be the friend of God, but um, in the Old Testament, there was not many people that God said he was a friend of mine, that I spoke to him as a man speaks to his friend face to face. And Moses was one of those men. We talked about the fact that there was three 40-year periods of Moses' life. He lived to be 120 years old. The first 40 years he spent in Egypt as a warrior, as a hero, with all the opulent luxury that the greatest nation on earth had to offer. And he left all of that. He walked away from all of that to pursue what he knew to be truth in his life, that he was not in fact, a man of Egypt, but he was a man of the slaves. He was a Jew. And when he found that out, he couldn't rest until he discovered the, true, the truth of all of that, which led him, of course, to killing the Egyptian taskmaster who was beating a slave and caused him to be driven out into the desert where he began the next 40 years of his life, where he went from being a prince of Egypt to a shepherd out in the wilderness and had everything stripped away from him. Everything was taken from Moses. All of the riches, all of the luxuries, the titles, the warrior status, the battles that he had won for Pharaoh that history talks to us about, all of that was stripped from him. All of that was taken from him. And he went from being a man with, with, that we would say had the ultimate amount of promise and potential to be an, a man that we would say is washed up, is done, is nothing. As an 80-year-old man, he finds himself in the backside of the desert tending sheep. And that's when God comes to him in the burning bush. And Moses tells God, I've lost all of my credentials I don't have it anymore, God. Don't you understand? You can't use a guy like me. I got nothing left. I can't even speak anymore. And God says to Moses, what is that in your hand? He says, well, it's a stick. It's a staff, is it? Throw it on the ground. And that staff, that stick, God would use to bring the mightiest nation on earth to its knees. He would open the Red Sea. He would bring water from a rock. He would bring manna from heaven, not because of the power of the man and not because of the power, certainly, of a stick, but because of the power of the God who Moses believed and hoped and trusted in. And so begins the last 40 years of Moses' life, the man of God, the man led of God by God's word and a man led by the spirit of God. And the things that God did through Moses, bringing them all the way to the point of entering into the promised land. Now, Moses is a representation for you and I of the law. Now, what do we know about the law of God? It is holy. It is perfect. There is no fault to be found in the law. Now, men try to find fault in the law of God. Men try to accuse God of many things, and it doesn't matter, right? It's the old phrase, he's God and we're not. And the law of God stands as it is. It is a rock. It is a mountain of truth and holiness and righteousness. There's a small problem. We ain't, <laughs> right? We are not. 
We can't live up to it. It's too much for us. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, after being in the presence of God, the Bible says his face shone like with a radiant light to where the people were afraid of Moses and asked him to put a veil over his face to cover that glory of God, even though it was fading. It was too much for them. And they said, we can't bear his presence, Moses. We can't certainly see his face and we can't even hear his voice. It's too much for us. And in Deuteronomy chapter 18, God prophesied to Moses what he was going to do. And he prophesied this. In Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 19, he said this to Moses. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst. Moses is speaking this to the people. From your brethren, him you shall hear according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. In other words, they're right. They can't bear it. So I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which, his, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. And so God did exactly that when he sent Jesus Christ. If God could become a man, if God could become one of us, what would he look like? Well, he would look exactly like Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ showed us who God really was. Not this fiery, indignant, angry being just waiting to stamp you out of existence. But instead, a God of love who was willing to do all that was necessary to bring us back into fellowship and relationship with him, even offering up his only son whom he loves on our behalf. That's the value that you have to him. Jesus showed us that. Jesus showed us the true nature of God when he touched the leper, when he healed the blind, when he healed the lame, when the sinful people of the streets were brought to him and rather than rejecting them and sending them away to judgment like the religious hypocrites did, he embraced them and he brought them into himself and he taught them and he loved them and their lives were transformed. That's who God is and that's what God is all about. And what he showed us through that was the law itself can never bring us into the promised rest that God has for his people. Now remember, when God created the heavens and the earth, he created all of the elements, all the aspects of earth until the seventh day, and then on the seventh day, he rested. And he hallowed that day, he made it holy, and he said, this is a day that is to be hallowed and holy. Do you remember when nothing was open on Sundays back in the old days? I mean, that's... That's me now. That's used to be like that was my dad's days. Now, like, I'm the old days now. I remember when I was a kid, there was virtually nothing open. Now, Sunday's another day for doing business, man. There's money to be made. But it used to be hallowed. There was a reverence there simply because God had set that day aside as a day for people to stop and to rest from their labor. Labor. It was not a burden. It was never supposed to be a burden. It was never supposed to be a list of do's and don'ts and religious works. It was never supposed to be something that crushed you or held you down. It was supposed to be something that would set you free. It was supposed to be a day that you would just stop everything you were doing and relax and say, thank you, God, for all the blessings of my life and Thank you for all that you're doing and thank you for who you are. 
and to reflect upon that. And God said that's a holy thing. But in the spiritual sense of what that day represents, there is a Sabbath day rest for the people of God, the Scripture says. And Jesus Christ is our Sabbath day rest. He is your rest. If you're looking to find rest, if you're looking to find joy, if you're looking to find peace, if you're looking to find contentment, you can look no further than the man Jesus Christ. He offers it up to you. And he said to his disciples and to anyone who would listen, and that includes you and I, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is like cast all your cares upon him, the scripture says, for he cares for you. That's who our God is. He's not the God of judgment to you and I. He is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of love. But as Jesus Christ himself said, I did not come to abolish the law. Make no mistake about it. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Don't say we don't need the Old Testament anymore. The law shows us two things, who God is and who we are. And there is a stark contrast. And if you've not yet seen that in your life, I pray that you do. Because that is what brings you to Jesus Christ. There cannot be salvation without repentance. And the world today is looking for some sort of salvation and some sort of redemption and some sort of godliness without repentance. Without acknowledging, I am sinful. As the prophet said when he stood in the presence of God, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm undone. And then that burning coal was taken from the furnace and put upon his lips spiritually. And Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, is that burning coal in your life and in my life. But it cannot come without repentance. The law still serves its good purpose of showing us we are far from God. And then Jesus Christ comes in and he comes on the scene and he says, but to me and in me and through me, you're a breath away. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. God is there. And so the law uh, represented in Moses could never bring the people into the land of Canaan, which represents rest, that rest we have in our relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And so Joshua is the one who brings them across the Jordan River and into the land of rest. Now, his name was was actually Yehoshua, uh, and if you didn't already know this, that was Jesus' real name. Jesus' real name wasn't Jesus. I don't know if you knew that. That's not a Jewish name, (laughs) okay? That's a translation. It's okay to call him Jesus, all right? It's okay. Don't Don't feel bad. But his name was Yehoshua. You know what that means? God, our salvation. That was his name. And so Joshua, whose name was Yahoshua, meaning God, our salvation, was the one who was going to bring the children into the promised land, into the land of rest. From the beginning, from all the way back in the Old Testament, we always say this all the time, the Old Testament basically is this, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, and the New Testament is this, Jesus is here right? Jesus here. We see him pictured continually in the Old Testament. So we we last service talked about the death of Moses, and now we begin chapter one of Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Now, Now, I hope that's on my tombstone. You know what I'm saying? I hope that that could rightfully be printed on my tombstone. Frank Thomas, he loved chicken wings, and he was a servant of the Lord right? And if it's the epitaph, it's the PS, it's the, it's the afterthought, if it's the index, I just want it to be somewhere. And he was a servant of the Lord. 
But Moses, the servant of the Lord, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, just as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I just can't think of a better blessing to have for... What, what happened? <laughs> I was starting to dance. Uh, Joshua was born a slave in Egypt. He was roughly five years old when Moses finished up his first 40 years on planet Earth. Okay, When Moses was finishing up his first 40 years of being a prince of Egypt, of being a warrior, of being an orator, of being a man mighty in word and deed, and being cast out into the wilderness, Joshua was about five years old. And he grew up in slavery just like the rest of the children of Israel who would, who would 40 years later leave that place through what we call the Exodus. And so he grew up in bondage. He grew up in slavery. Uh, you know, unlike, you know, some of the movie depictions, Joshua had probably had whip marks on his back. He had only ever known being a slave until he was about 45 years old. Okay. That was his identity. That was who uh, he was. And yet there was something about Joshua and the Bible never lays out any special qualities in Joshua other than this. He believed. He believed. And secondly, secondly, he wanted in on the relationship that Moses had with the Lord God. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, first, I want to read to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 5. Uh, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Now, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, okay? He's writing to the Gentile church. He's writing to born-again Christians, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, that was the cloud that followed them, remember the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, and also the cloud that, set, that settled above the tabernacle in the wilderness. They all passed through the sea, that's the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now remember, uh, 
when the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt and they, were, they got to a place where there was no water and they were thirsty and they cried out, they were ready to kill Moses and head back to Egypt. And God tells Moses to strike this rock and when he does, water bursts forth and comes out of the rock and they all drink from it. Notice what he continues. But, okay, so the first part of that is they experienced all of these miracles, the same miracles that Joshua experienced, the same miracles that, miracles that Caleb experienced, the same miracles that Moses experienced, all the children of Israel saw it, they all experienced the same thing, and yet... With most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, I, I would put it to you, why is that? Why is that? We've been talking about it in the book of Deuteronomy. When they came from, Mount, from Horeb, Mount Sinai, through the wilderness to the promised land the first time, that first generation coming out of Egypt, when they sent in the 12 spies, they said, the land is indeed good and plentiful, flowing with milk and honey, but... There are giants in the land. We can't stand. We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. You know, we can't do it. We can't do it. And the entire nation lost heart and they failed to believe and they wanted to kill Moses again and go back to Egypt. And God says, you can't enter in. It wasn't, it wasn't just God judging them. Fine, fine. You don't want it. Fine. Go die in the wilderness. No, no, no. You don't understand. You cannot ever enter into God's rest without faith. That's what the scripture teaches us. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who would come to him must first believe that he is and secondly must believe that, he's, that he does what his word says. In other words, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. They could never enter into the land of rest because they didn't believe. But Joshua was different. One of my favorite accounts uh, about Joshua is after Moses had gone up, received the Ten Commandments the first time, and then came back down, the children of Israel had made the golden calf, and he broke the tablets, remember, and then took the calf and ground it up in water and made the people drink it, and then he drew a line in the sand and had said, anyone who's on the side of the Lord come on this side of the line, and then Levites went on that side of the line, which is why they became the line of priests. And remember, Joe, he said, take Moses said, take your sword out, and everyone kill his neighbor. And there was this great judgment that took place because of their idolatry. After all of that, Moses goes back up to the mountain and he receives another set of tablets from the Lord, the rest of the law concerning the, 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 the rules and regulations for living, but also the sacrificial rules and the rules for their spiritual uh, conduct and their worship. And after that, Moses comes down, and this is before the tabernacle is built, okay? So when Moses was on Mount Sinai, God gave him all of the instructions, in, if you remember, in great detail on how to build the tabernacle. But before that was built, here's what it says in Exodus 33, 7 to 8, and, 11 to, uh, and 10 and 11. <clears throat> Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting, okay? So this is a temporary tabernacle that Moses set up before the actual real tabernacle was built. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. All the people, remember Corinthians, saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man at his tent 
door. Now, I want to remind you that it had said earlier, it came to pass, everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, okay? Went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. But all the people, each man stood at the tent of his front door and worshiped from there, okay? What does that tell you? Were they really seeking the Lord? So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. Here it is. But his servant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. He did not depart from the tabernacle. What made Joshua special? What made Joshua worthy to be the successor of Moses? Well, you go back to the, the first 240 years of Moses' life and that being broken down. And here's what was happening. Watch this. While Moses was out in the desert being broken down by God in the wilderness, where all of his gifts were being stripped of him, Joshua, from the time he was, from the time he was born, was being stripped of who he was by the Egyptians. And God used Joshua's bondage, God used Joshua's slavery to make Joshua into a man who was humbled before the Lord, was willing to serve, and who believed everything God said. And so when Moses erects this tent and calls it the tabernacle of God, temporarily before the tabernacle, anybody who seeks the Lord can come out here, and no one wants to go out there. They're just afraid because they know they're not worthy. But Joshua, he doesn't leave the tent. Now, uh, verse 3, uh, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. The word of the Lord will always come to pass. Exodus 23, 31, God said this to Moses. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea. That is, from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea. Philistia, and from the desert to the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. Verse 5, God says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You can put your trust in the Lord. Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 5 to 6 says this, let your conduct be without covetousness. Now the Bible calls covetousness idolatry. You know, we don't have little golden idols that we set up and to the little golden idols, okay? But we have lots of covetousness. I wants it. <laughs> I needs it. Remember Gollum from the Lord of the Rings? You know what I mean? Like we, that's how people go after things in this life. And it's only be sick over it. It's idolatry. Anything in my life that stands before my relationship with God, anything, any way, and any time that I put that thing before God, it has now become an idol in my life. Okay? Covetousness is idolatry. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is the hope that Joshua had, that same hope. If God be for us, who can be against us? It depends on where your treasure is. 
If I put my treasures and my hopes and my dreams in the things of this world, then I can be touched by this world. It's as simple as that. What is it? I see people all the time, and I talk to people all the time, that this happened to them, or this was taken from them, or this loved one died, and they're mad and angry at God because of it. Why could God, would God do this, and how could God allow that? And I have to say two things. First of all, I don't know why God does what he does or allows what he allows most of the time. I know what the Bible says. I know where he wants our hope to be. I know where he wants our treasure to be. I don't know why God heals some people and why he allows other people to die. I don't know why I was born where I was born and someone else was born in some awful place where they have nothing. I don't know the answers to any of that stuff. All I know is what God says in his word, and I believe it. And the Bible says is that godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But if you seek after the things of this world, and if you're about the things of this world, the things of this world will be the very thing that take you down. That's the, that's the story of the nation of Israel. When they go into the promised land, they begin to worship the gods, the false gods of these other nations. And what happens? Those exact nations whose gods they're worshiping end up conquering Israel and taking them into captivity and doing all sorts of horrible things. And they cry out to the Lord and God forgives them and God sends a deliverer and they repent and they have victory and then they go back to worshiping God. And then before long, it's a story of mankind. The question is, where do we put our hope? Where do we put our trust? I'm going to finish up real quick, real quick here. I didn't realize how late it was. Sorry. Um, one more verse, Romans 8, 31 to 39. Uh, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That doesn't mean a Maserati. That doesn't mean your house on the lake in Skinny Atlas, okay? That doesn't mean any of that. All things that matter, heavenly treasures. We were never promised good times. We were never promised health. We were never promised wealth. Anybody who says differently is selling something. Make no mistake about it. We were promised eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Uh, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. Yet in all these things, in all these hard times, in all of these difficulties, in all these tribulations, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God says to, to uh, Joshua in verse 8, in verse 7 and 8, only be strong and very courageous and then in verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. God's word stands forever. And even though you and I are not under the law, God's written word fulfilled through Jesus Christ and then the writings that, the apostle, that he gave the apostles to write to the churches, our 
are our words from God. And the man who uh, lives by them, or excuse me, the man who does them will still live by them. Will still live by them. We have God's grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, but God wants us to have an abundant life, not with things, with Christ, with the presence of God in our hearts and in our lives. But we cannot have divided hearts. As Joshua would say at the end of his, at the end of his life, choose this day whom you will serve, right? Remember, he said, famous, famous speech. You're going to serve the gods of these other nations. You're going to choose who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I love it that after God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous, he follows it up not with any kind of tips on how to swing a sword good or how to, how to, how to be, have a lot of endurance during the battle. He tells him, follow the word, follow the word. And the same exact thing God could say to you and I today, be strong and be very courageous and don't let the word of God depart from your mouth and do it and live by it all the days of your life. Watch if God won't give you success in all that you do. Watch if God won't bless your home. Watch if God won't bless the work of your hands. Watch if God won't use you as a light in a world, friends, that so desperately needs to see that. This world needs to see light. This world desperately, as you very well know, needs to hear truth. There's very little truth going around. It needs truth, and it needs love. It needs the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, I'm going to have my, my brothers come on up. We'll share in the Lord's table. And we talked about this first service as well, but, uh, and I, I can never say it enough because to me it's one of the coolest things that Jesus ever did where he literally changed a holiday, right? The Passover meal was a part of the law. It was, one of the, it was the very first law given to the Jewish people, right? Before they left the land of Egypt, God instituted the Passover. And he said, this is something that is to be kept through all of your generations. And the Jews to this day in Israel and around the globe still keep the Passover, right? Just as God had said. And so the communion table, or the Lord, what we call the last supper or the Lord's table was nothing more than a Passover meal. It was a Jewish Passover meal, but Jesus changed everything that night. He changed everything that night because when he was passing around the matzah and then when he was passing around the wine, instead of the usual things, he said, this is different this time. And I've longed to share this with you guys. He said, this is my body that's broken for you. It's not about you keeping the law anymore. It's not about you keeping the covenant. It's not about you doing all the right things. It's about my body being broken for you. It's about me taking your judgment upon myself. This is my body that is broken for you. And he passed the cup and he said, this is my blood. This is the blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you. It's on your behalf to atone for all of your sins. People say, you think God could have forgiven Adolf Hitler? You think God could forgive Osama bin Laden? Absolutely. People get put out by that. And I respond with this question. Whose sin is the blood of Jesus Christ not good enough to cover? That's the question you got to ask yourself. Stop looking to the horizontal and look above. Jesus Christ, that blood that was shed, believe it, can atone for anyone's sins. And they atone, it atoned for mine, thank God. And, and they were many, Steve. It was bad for a while, right? It was bad, right? You know, you know, you know. <laughs> it was bad. Freely. And this is the Christian walk. Freely you've received, freely give. People ask me, hey, we, like, maybe could you marry us? And I'm sure. Well, how much does it cost? It doesn't cost anything. They look at you like you got four heads. Freely you have received, freely give. I don't want anything. I have everything. God is that good. He has given everything to us. 
This is about relationship. This can just be matzah crackers and Welch's grape juice to you today. Kosher Isle or the International Isle at Wegmans. They're really crunchy, though. They're fresh. Thank you, Doug. I love these. They're wonderful today. It can just be crackers and juice. There's nothing magic here. You know what I'm saying? If I ring a bell and spin around three times, nothing happens. But when you take this and you say, I believe everything that Jesus said, I believe everything that Jesus said, and I want to have a meal with him today. I want to have that kind of fellowship. I want to break bread with God today. I want to have a relationship with God today. Then it is so. It's been called the meal that heals. And that's exactly what it is if you want it to be. If you want it to be. Again, just like Joshua, just like Moses, just like David, it's the same exact faith that you can exercise today. And that's what God calls uh, each one of us to do. Come on up, fellas. Honestly, for real this time. <laughs> do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming?
He is worthy. And everything that he did was for you and for me. That's pretty flattering. I say this all the time, but I just don't know how to make you feel better about yourself than to tell you that the King of kings and the Lord of all creation gave everything because he loves you so much and because he would do anything for you to have a relationship with his Father in heaven. I just don't have anything else for you. What's better than that? What's greater than that? I may be a lot of things. <laughs> you can ask Nikki, she'll tell you. Right? I may be a lot of things. I may act like a jerk a lot of times. And I may say stupid things <laughs> and act stupid. But I'll tell you what. I know whose I am. I know whose I am. And I know that he did the things that he did for me for love. And I know that he has that same love for you. And if there's anybody here, and we need to do this more often, if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus Christ today, if you want to have a personal relationship with him, and if you don't know him, please come and see me after service and I'll introduce you, okay? So let's share this together, saints. The blood of Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus Christ shed for you and I. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy for the forgiveness of sins. I pray that you bless my brothers and sisters today as they go from this place, that you'd watch over them, that you'd be with them in all their endeavors, that you'd make your face to shine upon them, and you'd be gracious to them and to their families. I pray that you bless their homes, and I pray, Father, that they would find their hope, and they would find their joy, and they would find their peace and their strength in you, Father. And I pray, Lord God, that you would bring them alongside yourself and that you would use them to speak truth and to speak life and love into a world that so desperately needs it. Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody.